0: We're starting a brand new series of messages today entitled, Remember, Remember, Remember. All about how God in his word has told us some things. (laughs) God in his word has told us some things that we are not to forget. And it's part of the human condition that we forget things all the time. Your parents tell you, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. They tell you a billion times, yeah, I'm gonna, don't worry, just wait a minute and you forget. No matter how many times you're told, you still forget. But as Christians, there are certain things that we're never to forget, and the Bible calls us to always call these things to mind. Let me ask you this. Ever since you were little, you were told something. You were told that if you catch on fire, you do what? Stop, drop, and roll. How do you remember that? Did any of you go home and you're researching the Greek of what does it mean to drop? What does the root word mean? Drop. And you like visualize it. You go home. You practice it. Stop, drop, roll. You, You like repeat it to yourself. Every morning you wake up, you're like, just in case, if I go on fire, I just need to make sure that I stop, drop, and roll. No. None of you do that. Yet you remember it. Why is it that you remember it? It's because you know how to take a certain phrase and apply it to your life. You are told something, it's been repeated over and over and over, and not only that, but you know it's application in your life. And here's the thing, oftentimes, God tells us to do things, but when we don't know it's application and if we don't put it into action, then we are bound to forget it. If you don't believe me, just believe what the Bible says. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Have you ever noticed that actions are easier to recall than thoughts? Actions are easier to recall than thoughts. Actions are easier to recall than thoughts. I could tell you that three times today and you'll forget it unless you actually put it into action. At the end of the day, I ask you, what was that thing I repeated three times in the beginning of the message? You may not have any idea, but if you think about it, when it comes to directions, if you're trying to go to a particular place, you may not remember if someone asks, how do I get your house? You have no idea, but at the same time, your body remembers when you're driving, when you're going down the same street, you're like, oh, you're trying to visualize it in your mind. Actions are easier to recall than thoughts. So, in the same way, when God tells us certain things, we need to put it into action so that we do not forget the important things that he calls us to do. That's why James is saying, if you don't do the things that the word says, you're going to be a forgetful hearer. You're going to be like a man who looks in the mirror... And it's like, wow, I look pretty nasty today. And you walk away and you forget immediately what kind of man you were. What you have to do is take care of the problem when you see it. You gotta zit, you gotta pop it. If you see <laughs> it, it's nasty, sorry. You won't forget it now. So remember, remember, remember. The first thing is to rem- remember not to look back. Let's read what it says in Luke chapter 17, verse 20. The first thing we're to remember. So it says, now when he was asked, he being Jesus, asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, Pharisees are questioning a bunch of things. When's your kingdom coming? You're talking about this kingdom, awesome. When's it coming? He said, well, it's not coming with intense interrogation like you guys are doing to me right now. You're probing and probing. You're going to say, see there and see here, this is where the kingdom is. But the kingdom is actually right in front of your face, which was Jesus speaking to them. He had the kingdom of God within him. So he said to the disciples, he turned now, not talking to the Pharisees, now talking to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. For as a lightning that flashes out of one part under the heavens shines To the other part under heaven so also the son of man will be in his day but first he may he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation and as it was in the days of noah so it will be also in the days of the son of man they ate they drank they married wives they were given in marriage until the day that noah entered the ark and what happened the flood came and destroyed them all likewise it was also in the days of lot they ate they drank they bought they sold they planted they built but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one being taken will the other left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken the other left. They answered and said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Let's pray one more time. Lord, help us to take the things that are in your word and be able to apply it to our lives so that we don't forget. We remember the importance of not looking back but to look forward to what you have for us, to take a step forward towards your calling, towards your kingdom, and not to pursue the things of this world. Jesus, we need you to create within inside of us a distaste for sin and a distaste for the things of this world. So I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would make this a special night for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. So Jesus is warning his disciples telling them to remember Lot's wife. Why does he say that? If you think about it, there's probably nowhere else in the Bible that says you should think about someone else's wife. That's awkward. But Jesus tells them to remember Lot's wife because of what happened in her day. That That is a lesson for each and every one of us. Now, talking about Noah, talking about, about Lot, these are both people that around them, there was destruction, but they themselves were saved. Now, What is it that saved Noah and Lot from the destruction around them? We know Noah built an ark. Everybody else, you saw the movie, whatever, the floods came, destroyed everything else but Noah's family. And Lot, in the same way, he was in Sodom and Gomorrah, wicked city, and they were taken out of the land and fire and brimstone consumed that entire city. One destroyed by water, one destroyed by fire. Now, what enabled those families uh, access into the heavenly kingdom and to be able to escape judgment was it their good looks was it noah's capability was it the fact that noah is really wise really cool actually in both cases noah and lot leave and they make terrible mistakes they both get drunk and they both do dumb things right after that so it couldn't have been based on their goodness what is it that saved both noah and lot from the destruction it was that they trusted in God's plan of salvation, no matter how ridiculous it seemed. And in fact, when we're going to look in, in just a moment, Lot is warning his family that they have to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. And to the people in his family, they thought he was joking. When Noah says, hey, listen, there's going to be a flood. It's like, like water is down here. And I know you've never seen rain before. But rain's like water will fall from the sky, and we're all going to die unless we get in this giant boat. And people didn't believe him, but he trusted God, and that's what got him out to miss the destruction because he places faith in God. And so this is an example, kind of like as a side note, it's an example. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't believe in the, you know, the rapture. I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I think evidence is right here that anytime you see God's judgment against the earth, He always, uh, He'll never execute the righteous with the wicked. Not righteous meaning like we're good, but righteous meaning those that put their faith in Jesus, in God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 19 so we can look a little bit closer at this story. Genesis chapter 19, just a couple verses we're going to look at. Just to get an idea of what happened. Maybe you've never read the Bible and you're really confused at this point. It's a good point to jump in. So Genesis chapter 19, first book of the Bible, verse 14. After these angels visited Lot and his family, the angels saw how wicked the city was. It says in verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of this city. And while he, what? He lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. The Lord be merciful to him and brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains. Lest you be destroyed. Skip down to verse 26. As they're leaving, the fire and brimstone comes down It says, But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Lot and his family are escaping the sudden instruction that would come to Sodom and Gomorrah. Detestable, terrible things were happening in this very, very wicked city. It's not like God just judges any nation, because you look at history... And God would give nations sometimes 500 years to turn from their wicked ways. When they sacrifice babies, they do all kind of detestable things. God still was merciful to those people, even to the point that if there were any people righteous in those cities, that he would make sure that they had a way of escape. And that's what happened with this person, Lot, and his family. However, the sad thing is, we know that, how did, well, first of all, how did Lot even get in Sodom and Gomorrah? It's because he was talking to his, his buddy, Abraham. Abraham's like, you go wherever you want, I'll go the opposite way. You take your plot of land, I'll take my plot of land. And Lot chose near Sodom and Gomorrah because it looked good. And as he went there, he actually, if you read the story, he gets closer and closer to the gates. The parallel of, for us, of course, is that many of us think, oh, I want to reach the world. And then you become in the world. And before you know it, you're indistinguishable from the world itself. And so Lot forgot his mission. He was sent there. He was going to represent the people of Israel, and yet he did not. He represented instead the world and became like the world. And so he had to be taken out of the world. But his family was so enraptured with Sodom and Gomorrah that they didn't want to leave. They, they lingered behind. And his wife looked back longingly, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. How that actually happened the Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe she was hit by one of the, you know, lava, or she was hit by some fire that was coming out and it just consumed her. Either way, this is what we do know. Lot's wife look, looked back longingly at an evil city. So here's a parallel for us. Because in, throughout the Bible, you always have these cases of when people forget how good God is. And forget how wicked the world is you become comfortable in the world you see no reason to leave why would i leave everything's great what are you talking about god you have to judge the world really it's not that bad you forget how bad the world is you forget how good god is and then you're comfortable inside of the world the people of israel when they were leaving egypt remember when they were delivered by moses they're coming out of egypt towards the promised land the land flowing with milk and honey what happened along the way in the desert they complained and said, oh, wasn't it great being a slave in Egypt? Wasn't it awesome? I mean, we at least had a bed. We we had a place to like, you know, lie down. We could eat to our fill. It was great, wasn't it? They had memory loss. They couldn't remember rightly of how bad bondage and slavery was and how good God is. The same God that took them out of the place of slavery, he took him out of Egypt it was bringing him to the promised land and they forgot his goodness and so the parallel is clear for us that we are to pursue the kingdom of God and not look back we sang a song tonight take the world, give me Jesus but realize if you give up the world that means everything in the world and some of those things we like don't we but if you think about it If you think about it just at its face value it might sound ridiculous it might sound ridiculous to say you know when you're raptured out of the world when you're raptured out of this evil world don't look down don't look back i mean the things of, of god are we know logically it's it's far greater than anything the world can ever offer we know that we know that god will withhold no good thing from those that walk uprightly and and not only that But every good and perfect gift comes from above. So even if you're an evil person, you have good things, God gave you those good things. So why would we ever want things in the world over the things that God would give us? It's kind of like if you were captured by ISIS and you were trapped there for for many, many years and you were suddenly rescued and then you turn around like, oh, I left something. I want to go back. That's ridiculous. You were enslaved You were in bondage. You were tortured. Why would you ever want to go back? And yet, this is the case. And this is the warning that Jesus would give to each and every one of us. He's saying, in the last days, in the last days, when when Jesus comes back, there will be some people that are looking back at this world longingly. And if you are looking at this, this world longingly now, that means your entire life is going to be devoted to the things of this world. Why is it that we look back? How do we get into that place? Because there's a temptation, isn't there? There's a temptation for each and every one of us to grow, you know, just just in love with the things of this world. And I think that's because we become attached to the world. Like the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more and more that we invest in the things of this world, the more attached we become to the world. Because your heart follows where you put your stock, where you put your time, where you put your energy. If you put all of your time and energy into obtaining social status and you want all your friends to look up to you, you want everyone in the school to think that you're popular, you put all of your time and investment in that thing, what happens when that's taken away from you? You're devastated. What happens when people think ill of you after you've worked so hard to to rise up the social ladder in your group of friends and people start slandering you, gossiping you? You feel like you can't go on because what was everything to you was just suddenly taken away. We often forget that the world holds people captive. The world holds people captive. The world's pleasures are fleeting. And the end of the world is what? It's death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So you want to summarize this? If you work in the world, your paycheck will be death. All your labor, all your effort, all your toiling if you read the book of ecclesiastes it's like it's all vanity grasping for the wind great job you want to be rich go for it and you want it you want at the end of your life to be like look at all all my hard work i tried so hard and i rose up you know the economic ladder and i did everything for myself and look at me now i did this all by myself what happens when you die you leave that to somebody else who didn't earn it ouch so your son, the person who inherits all your money, is that same person that you hated and spited and said, look at that person, they received everything, they didn't work for anything. But your very own son is the person who inherits everything. Life at the end of it, if it's not, if it's not for the Lord, and we're not pursuing the things of God, the kingdom of God, it's all going to be burned up one day. And so this is why Jesus gives us this stark warning, don't be like Lot's wife, don't turn back. Don't look back. Don't look down. Walk forward in this life as we are marching as Christian soldiers and we want to proclaim God's good news to the entire world. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be hurt. We're going to have people make fun of us. But at the end of the day, don't look back. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is what? It's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. No matter how hard you try, unless you are pursuing God, everything you're doing in this life will be burnt up. Why is that? Because logically, only God is eternal. Our souls are eternal. God is eternal. But if you're not investing in souls or investing in in the Lord and his kingdom, everything that you do in this life will be one day destroyed. But it's it's so enticing, isn't it? The world has an aura to it. It has a draw. Each and every one of us has a craving for physical pleasure. There's not one person in this room that doesn't have a craving for physical pleasure. It's just wired into us. Something went wrong at the fall when Adam and Eve sinned. And we have a craving for everything that we see. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Each and every one of us has that. It all started when Eve looked upon the fruit in the Garden of Eden. And she saw that it was good. And she desired it. She wanted it. And she craved it. And so, we also will ask ourselves questions like, why should I wait till marriage? Maybe it's not even having sex. Or why should I wait till I kiss till marriage? You know, crazy Christians, you have crazy rules and regulations. I'm not going to be legalistic. I'm going to make out as much as I want, you know. We laugh about it, but sometimes that's the way we think. It's like, people are so legalistic. What's wrong with you? One of those weirdos... But the people that that rightly recognize the power of the flesh and the power that sin has on us might be more likely to abstain from those things. But think, you know what? It is good if we wait till marriage to have sex. You know what? It isn't the best thing for me to look at pornography. It's just not good. You don't even have to be a Christian to believe that. Even people in the world recognize that pornography is bad for us physically messes with our brain chemistry people know that but the things of this world are so often captivating and that's because jesus said whoever commits sin is a slave of sin you can't not sin unless you're born of the spirit unless you allow jesus to come to your life and break free all those uh, chains of bondage jesus also said he who the son of man sets free is free indeed So if you trust in Jesus, he is able to free you from those chains of bondage that you've had your whole life. People are addicted to drugs. People are addicted to pornography or whatever it is. And Jesus is the only one who can set you free. And if you think that you can do it yourself, I mean, I'm not saying that you can't stop doing drugs apart from Jesus. You could, but you won't be able to escape yourself and the desires that you have and the sin that you have inside unless you have Jesus to heal you from the inside out. We also have pride in achievements and possessions, don't we? The pride of life. We all want to be married. We all want to not just be married to anybody, right? We want to be married to someone who's good-looking, successful. Ladies, you want a guy who has muscles. I mean, no one wants like a paper-thin dude, I'm guessing. Maybe. You all have, in your mind, you have things that you desire and these are not bad things these can be good things but even good things can be bad things if you, if they keep you from the best things so that's why we have to be careful that these things don't distract us and pull us away from the giver of all these good things at the end of the day these things are fading away so why are we investing them in the first place all these things that are in the world the pride of life the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh the things that draw us that are in the world that are not eternal are fading away. So why do we spend all of our time trying to find a husband, find a wife, trying to find a career, get into a good college? Why do we try finding the right job? Why do we find, you know, all these things are good things, great things. But some of us obsess over those things as if they're going to give us eternal value, and they can't. It's kind of like, y'all been to an airport before? Anyone? Anyone not, anyone not been to an airport? Okay, there's like maybe a couple. So all of you know as you're going through the airport, you're going to security, there are certain things you can't take with you through security. Water. You can't bring water. You can't bring bottled water. You can buy it after you get inside the airport, but you can't bring bottled water. So some of us are living our lives like... You're going to the airport, and you're like, man, I got a great deal from Costco. I got a 24-pack of bottled water, and I'm so psyched to bring it on my carry-on luggage. And you're going, and you got this giant case, and then you're scanning through it, and you're like you're bringing it through the scanner, and then the people that are in security are just like, Wait, you're really going to put a 24-pack of water when it says no liquids. Like, but trust me, these liquids are safe. They're going to make it. They're awesome. You can't take it with you. So why do you invest so much time in things that you can't bring with you into heaven? So many of us are spending all of our time investing in things that are going to fade away. Why if they're not going to be able to be taken with us into heaven? Now, if we're so focused on the things of this world, we're going to judge everything by the world's standards, aren't we? The more that you become attached to the things of this world, the more that you judge everyone else and judge yourself based on the world's standards. And you start thinking things like, because the world's been telling you this your whole life, and you've been investing in these things your whole life, you think, I can't be used of God unless I can sing like that person. I can't be used of God if I've had sex. Can't be used of God if I have an addiction to pornography, or if If I'm a homosexual, there's no way I can be used of God. You start thinking these things because you start looking at the way the world values things and you say, well, if that's the way that everybody values things, maybe that's the way that God values things. It's not true at all, not even a little bit. So maybe the reason why we're so invested in things of this world is you think, well, if I don't spend my time getting a good job, God won't use me. If I don't spend my time going to a good school, then how is God ever going to use me? I don't have anything else. I mean, that's what I did. I invested in music because I thought that was the only way that God could use me. And so as my band was disbanding, as they were, I know that's bad. As they were breaking up and we are you know, one was going to school in Florida. One of them was getting married and people were losing dedication. I felt like God was calling me to use music. And so I was like, well, I'm going to teach myself music. So I sat down in, in 2009 when we were starting to like fade away, and I taught myself how to play instruments. And I did all that just because I, was, I thought unless I did that, I wouldn't ever be able to be used of God. I don't have any other talents or abilities. But listen, that is an enormous weight that we were never meant to carry. Basically what happens is you become so burdened, don't you? Because now you have to get into the school. You have to get a job. You have to get married to someone who's good-looking and talented and whatever. Because if you don't, then what are you? You're a nobody. And so when we don't get into the school that we want to, we start breaking down. Because we've invested all of our time trying to obtain earthly things. That if it doesn't match, uh, match up, we feel like maybe God doesn't like us. Maybe God doesn't use us. But what did God say about this burden that we're carrying on our back? This burden of success? He said... My yoke is easy, my burden is light. What are you doing? And whose burden is on your back? Because we are to follow Jesus and let him be everything so that we are free to become nothing. The story is not about you, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's not about what we can obtain. It's about, besides, obtaining Christ in our life. And as his life becomes our life, The two have become one flesh, and now I'm just living the life of Jesus wherever I go. And so that now it's not just me, but Jesus through me. Let Jesus impact you and impact the world through you. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus can do through you. And just being available and saying, Lord, here am I. Some of us are like, and I know because this is like the the culture right now, is we are so afraid of what everybody thinks. We're afraid to look ridiculous afraid to dress in 90s clothes. We're afraid to participate in a game, do improv. -er. We're afraid of everyone's opinions. Why aren't we afraid of God's opinion? Why aren't we afraid of what God thinks of us right now? Well, let me just tell you, you don't have to be afraid because when you're weak, then you're strong. If you are willing to submit your life to Christ, if you're willing to embrace Jesus, all you have to know is that Jesus already loves you. He already cares about you. It's not about trying to impress God because you can't. There's nothing you can do on this life. There's nothing that you can do in this world that's going to impress God. Like, God, check this out. I can sing really good. He's like, ah, that's, that's funny. It's like a little kid saying, I want to play doctor. I'm like, oh, that, that's cute. That's, that's awesome. You can't impress God. So why, why do we try? Instead, let Jesus be the one who transforms our life so the key is not making ourselves better it's actually the reverse it's making ourselves less and less so that jesus can be more apparent in our life first corinthians 1 says for see your calling brethren that not many wise according to flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Here's the thing. So God wants to take your life and be like, yeah, you're, you're pretty weak. And actually, I want to use you on purpose so that we can make fun of all the successful people in the world. So that you can be like at the top and, and then a successful person looks at you and is just like, how did you do it? What's your secret? I'm like, I don't know. I really don't know. I just like said, I prayed. I was like, Lord, use me. And here I am. That's it. It's like, there's no secret? No, there's no secret. Jesus just used me. Watchman Nee has this quote. He says, God's means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger and stronger, but by making us weaker and weaker. Why do we long for the things of this world? If we just sat down for a little bit every now and then and just thought about who our God is, we recognize that the things of God are so much greater than the things of this world. Especially because the joy you get out of it is so much greater than, than achievements in this world. Because if you finally catch your big break, you know, it's because you worked hard. Big whoop. But when God surprises you and does something that's beyond your expectations, you're just like blown away. You're like, wow, this is the evidence of God in my life. Because there's no way I could make this happen myself. There's no way this happened, and then this person talked to this person, and this person talked, and then this happened. It's great. You know what the Bible says? It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. It has not entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. That's it. And actually, you know what it says later on in that verse in 1 Corinthians? It says, but we can because we have We have God's spirit. I don't know what you're thinking right now because I don't have your mind and I don't have your spirit. But we can because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can know the good things that God has for us if you just enter into the life of the Spirit. All right, so what do we do? How do we cut ties with the world? We, we know it's bad. We know the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We know that pursuing God will be far better, logically, far better than anything that the world could possibly give you. You could be miserable, single, depressed, jobless, homeless for all of your life, but if you have Jesus, you have everything. So we recognize that logically. It's not, it's not very practical to live out, right? Because the, like, the minute you're like, I don't know, you, you get fired from your job, you're like, I'm going to be homeless. No, you're not. You're six and you live with your parents. You're not going to be homeless. We blow things out of proportions. How do we cut ties with the world? I'll give you two ways. Number one, Take a step forward in faith. Take a step forward in faith. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, he said to a, a, another person, follow me. But the person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Ouch. Jesus says, hey, I want you to follow me. The person said, eh, well, yeah, but my dad actually just died, so it's kind of awkward. You mind if I just stay and, like, take care of that? And he says, no, he can bury himself. Follow me. Messed up. What are you, what are you saying? What he's saying is our love for Christ has to radically supersede everything else, even good responsibilities what do you mean? I need a job. I need school. I need, uh, these are good things. Yes, they're good things, but Jesus needs to be the ultimate thing. Because if he's not, if he's not the priority, everything else is out of whack. So what are you saying is the priority? If God is not the most important thing in life, what is? Success. What happens when you die? All your success, you could be the most successful person in all of human history and still be a blip in terms of eternity. What really matters? If God is not the priority, what is? So this is not Jesus saying, like, I don't care about families. He's not saying, I don't care about people that die. He's saying, and he's judging the person's heart right there and then. He's saying, listen, you go back and bury your father. You might not come back. You might not have another chance. Some of us think, well, you know what? It's, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to focus on schoolwork. Then I'm going to Focus on, like, I'm going to go to college. And when I'm in college, I'll get plugged into a good church group or whatever they have, like, on campus. What did you choose first, a college or your campus group? What's more important, your church life or your school life? Now, some of you might be like, oh, I made the wrong decision. No, don't worry about it. God can use anyone, anywhere, anytime. It's fine. It's good. But what is your priority and where is your heart? The first thing we need to do is take a step forward in faith Even if that means we don't know who's going to bury the dead person. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, but I'm taking a step forward in faith. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm taking a step forward in faith. I don't have any time anymore, but I'm still taking a step forward in faith because that's where God is calling me. He's calling me to follow him. Later on in that same chapter, it says, Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So another person like, yeah, l- let me just say goodbye to my friends and we'll, we'll head out. And Jesus says, you put your hand to the plow, you're a farmer, they're all farmers back then, put your hand to the plow, you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. If you want to be a marathon runner who has the most miserable time running his race, run your race looking backward." Every single one of us, as you put your step forward, you need to look ahead. And in those days, farmers, the only way to keep a straight line when they were plowing is to look at a, a, near, a, a point in the distance, fixate their eyes on that point, and plow in a straight line towards that, that point. Because if they didn't, they would go crooked. They wouldn't know where to fix their eyes. In the same way, we need to, as Christians, be looking to the future, looking to Jesus' second coming, looking to things of eternity and not things that are right in front of us. And a lot of us have regrets. A lot of us have things that we're like, man, I've just messed up so many times. But realize God can redeem your wasted moments. It's not too late. It is never too late for a person to come to Jesus, ever. And some of us have regrets, like we've left sin and all of a sudden it's like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. I didn't really mind. It wasn't that harmful to my life. But we have to be careful that we don't get stuck always looking backward and never able to move forward. So first, take a step forward in faith. Second thing is to burn the bridges that lead to hell. Burn the bridges that lead to hell. Don't look back. Take a step forward. Don't look back. Take a step forward. Don't look back. Burn the bridges that lead to hell. What do I mean by that? Some of us still have not destroyed the roads in our lives that lead to sin. You know what I'm talking about. You have an ex in your life that treated you poorly, that was nothing but trouble, that texts you every now and then, hits you up, and you still have their number in your phone. You haven't blocked it. Why? Some of you have saved text messages from your exes. Why? Why? Well, just in case. Just in case what? It was a miserable time of your life. Why do we do that? All the things that we try to remember are things not worth remembering, and the things that God wants us to remember, we forget all the time. When's the last time God gave you a verse that you put in your phone, and you're like, yes, I'm going to remember this verse. and yet we have dumb things in our phones that we don't need to remember? Some of us still have phone numbers of people that we know are nothing but trouble in our lives. A person that we used to smoke with. A person that we used to drink with. Why do we still have that? Well, just in case. Just in case what? Get rid of it. Burn the bridge that leads to hell. In movies and in life, there's something called the point of no return. That means you've gone so far that there's no way you could go back. Each and every one of us has to reach that point in our Christian life. We reach the point of no return so that we don't even think of going back because there's no road to get us there. Maybe it's we still haven't installed a web filter, and we know that at any moment we could stumble back into sin, looking upon, you know, with lust, pornography, whatever. We know the avenues that we could sin. We know the roadways. Why are they still there? Get rid of them. Destroy them completely because they could destroy your life. Maybe it's an emergency stash of alcohol or drugs, and you still have it in your house. Why do you have it in your house? Get rid of it. Why still hold on to the things that are going to put you farther and farther away from God? D.L. Moody says, what is the price that you put upon your soul? It is the sin that keeps you from God. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be a lonely road. But you know what? Jesus was a little bit along those lines. A person who walked a lonely road. A person who's radically different. A person who is a stranger in a strange land, like we are called to be. Instead of being afraid of disappointing people around us, we have to be afraid of disappointing God. Turn one more time to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. It's a parable that Jesus gives, the parable of the wedding feast. Says in verse 1. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The King of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent, again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm and another to his own biz- business. And the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies destroyed destroy those murderers and burnt up their city. And he said to the servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and get as many as you can find. Invite to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered all together who, who they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The, the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot. Take him away and cast him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus in this parable is talking about the return of God once again. And saying it, it could be like... There's a wedding that happens. And in this wedding, this king has this wedding for his son. A prince. A wedding for a prince. Let's invite some people out there. And as he sends out those wedding invitations, what happens? People are like, oh, I'm kind of busy. I'm tied up. You get the wedding wedding invitation. You're like, I I have things to do. And they go back to doing their work. What an insult. The ultimate insult. To look at that wedding invitation and say, your son's wedding is not as important as my work that I'm doing right now. And so, there are some people that made light of it, didn't care about it, went back to their own business, and some people actually beat up the servants. So, representing some of the people in this world that actually persecute Christians, that actually they're like, you know, completely, it's not just that they forget, but they're the people that actually don't care. So, what did this guy do? He says, fine, you know what? I will invite anyone, anyone who wants to come, anyone just lying on the street, homeless people, come to the wedding. You know what happens to those people? Those people are grateful. Those people that are chosen are grateful because they don't feel like they deserve to get in. Those people are you and me if you put your faith in Jesus. The people that think there's no way that I could get into heaven on my own. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm terrible. I know that I've done bad things. And Jesus says, you are the perfect person to come into my kingdom. But what a divine insult it would be if we were caught up. Imagine Jesus came back right now and we were all to be raptured. And as we're caught up into heaven... And the glory of God is shining before us. We look down. We look back and say, oh, I forgot something. Oh, I just wish I had more time. Oh, man, I'm, I'm bummed out. Why, Jesus, why did you come back now? It is the ultimate divine insult. Because you know what it's, it's saying? It's saying that, nice try, God, but you're not dazzling enough. And logically, we know that's impossible. It's impossible to even look upon God and not die as a human. We know that God is going to be glorious. Logically, we know this. We know that the things of God are worth far more than anything we could obtain in the world, and yet we still act in this mentality that the things of this world are really important. It's kind of like when your parents are saying, to the dinner table, and they tell you 50 billion times. It's time for dinner. It's time for dinner. It's time for dinner. Then, yeah, just wait a minute, because what you're doing is really important. You're texting your friends. It doesn't matter how extravagant the meal is. It doesn't matter how awesome the wedding is. Some of us are distracted with such dumb things. And at some point, we need to remember, call to mind the fact that God is good and he loves us. That he gave his only begotten son to die for us on the cross, to die for our sins. And he called each and every one of us on a mission not live for ourselves but to live for other people and to live for Jesus you understand that each and every one of us our primary mission in life is not our own personal salvation it's the salvation of everybody everybody around us the very call that God has on your life is selfless it's not just a call repentance for you but it's a call to repentance for everybody else around you you're an instrument of God, and each and every one of you has a responsibility. We have a responsibility to respond to his good news. First Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll close with this, says, Anyone builds on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw? Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Jesus is giving us a mission. And each and every one of us could be in danger of ruining that mission. Jesus is the foundation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we're all building on that foundation. We're building a house Building something awesome. It's going to be tested by fire. And only the most precious metals will survive. Gold, silver, bronze. If we're building upon God's foundation, wood, hay, stubble, it's all going to be burnt up. And you're going to, you're going to make it to heaven. You're just going to be one who barely makes it through the flames. Instead, invest in the things that are going to last through the fire. Last past eternity. Invest in the souls. Invest in the kingdom of God. And let's not just wait for everybody else to do it. This past youth rally was awesome because, like, we had 500 people that showed up to youth rally last week. It was cool. But for me, I was up there, and I was, like, borderline grieving because there was only about 30 of us there from the church. And for me, the thing that was, like, the thing that was so sad to me is my entire life, my entire life, my greatest fear in life is that I would be useless that I could work as hard as possible. I'd be working, you know, to build something that lasts for eternity. And at the end of the day, God looks at it and is like, Psh, no good. For me to invest in souls, and people just tolerate me like, yeah, yeah that was encouraging. And they walk away and like, that was so boring. Like when we sit down with someone, counseling them, saying Jesus loves you, pray with them at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, yeah, thank you so much. And they leave and they're like, wow, I, was, I just didn't understand a word he said boring, never coming back. Me, it's just like, be honest with me. Tell me I'm boring. Tell me that I'm not doing anything. Tell me that I'm useless. Don't lie to my face and tell me that I'm useless. You know, that I'm, I'm doing something of eternity. So that, that's been my fear. That's been my mentality, okay? So, and for me, it's like, I could work as hard as possible at the end of the day, if people don't respond, what good is it? We could build this conference. We could build a youth rally. We could have 500 people there, but if they're all saved people, awesome, but let's not make an outreach. Let's do something else. Let's all hang out as 500 Christians. Where are the lost people? Because otherwise, we're just going to be resaving our own people. At the end of the day, we want to do things that last for eternity. And I'm hoping that's your goal too. We need each other. We can't do this alone. I myself can't be the only one in this mission. We need each other to, to bond with each other, to be looking at how we can make most of our time here, to look at this summer and say, Lord, how, how would you like me to be used? I want to go on the discipleship dose, dose mission trip. I want to, you know, evangelize. I want to I want to step out of my comfort zone and not just wait for everybody else to do it. I want to do it myself. Because this is not, this by no means, this is not a guilt trip. This is not me saying you're blah, 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 you Christians, whatever. So I fail all the time. But that's the beauty of the gospel, that you're free to fail because Jesus is everything. He is our success. So we can try and fail. We can stand up and look ridiculous. We can show up to 90 and people make fun of us. We can stand up and try to do improv and try to do whatever, and it does not matter at the end of the day because we don't need people's approval anyway. It's the most freeing thing in the world. To know that you're investing in things that last for eternity. So even if people are like, what is that, that shiny thing you got? It's gold. Oh, gold? I've never heard of gold before. Well, watch it last. You can tell people around you the good news of Jesus and know that it's not dependent on you and people's responses. Jim Elliott has this quote. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's pray together.